If you have a Bible, if you wouldn't mind turning to 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we'll be reading from verses 23 to 50 today. As he talked with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of, from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, What have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for them for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear... And took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered him out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came to near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine moved forward and came to, uh, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, "Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks?" And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, "Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field." Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that 
all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, but for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. So it's funny how sometimes you can become really familiar with a place and yet still miss very important details about that place. For example, about a month and a half ago, I went into my in-law's house and I saw this clock on the wall. And so I proceeded to ask my mother-in-law if this clock was a new clock. I happened to actually really like this clock. And she told me, no, no, it's, it's not new. And she was very nice about it, but then I found afterwards that not only was it not new, but they had this clock for many, many years. In fact, it was the same clock that was there when I first went to their house about six and a half years ago when I first met them. And this particular day, however, I noticed a detail about the clock I had never noticed before. I noticed that there were these little bird figurines that were built into the clock. I'd never noticed that before, and so I thought it was a new clock. Even though I had been there you know, many, many times, even though I had looked at the clock hundreds of times before to check the time, I didn't recognize those birds, and so because I didn't recognize those birds, it looked to me like a new clock. I, I think we can sometimes do a similar thing when it comes to Scripture. There are some stories in Scripture that are so familiar to us that we miss very important details about that story. And I think one of those stories is the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath is one of the most popular stories in all of the Bible. When I was growing up, it was my favorite Bible story. Uh, people who are not believers, who have never gone to church, are familiar with the story of David and Goliath. It's a story that's used in various different contexts, even non-religious contexts. It might be used in the context of a sports game where one team is said to be much stronger than the other. It's a David and Goliath situation. And whether we're believers or unbelievers, I feel like we, we all kind of think that we have this story nailed. For those who are unbelievers, maybe who are not familiar with the plot of the entire plot of the story or the Bible, they think that the story is about being able to conquer any obstacle in your own strength. That it doesn't matter how big the giant is, it just matters how much how, how strong your resolve is and being courageous. For those who are believers, maybe we know that's not the case, but we take it to mean that there's any giant that any giant in our life can be defeated, but with the help of God. Well, that might be part of the story, part of the meaning of the story. I think we miss some important details. And I believe that this story points us to a deeper faith in God. And I believe that this story can be very instructive for us and apply to us, especially during the time frame that we're living in today. So we all have giants in our life. 
Now, the biggest giant we are all facing right now is COVID-19. And it has really wreaked havoc on all of our lives and uh, upended the way that we do everything. But there's many different giants we face in our life. For some of us, there's a giant of depression. We just can't seem to get over that giant. Some of us, there's giants in our marriage. For some of us, we're facing financial giants as we're wondering how we're going to pay the bills. For some of us, there's giants in terms of uh, people who were uh, in conflict with, family members or friends. And when we're facing these giants, there's a couple questions that maybe we ask ourselves. Maybe we ask ourselves the question, can I defeat this giant? Or can God defeat this giant in my life? And maybe we wonder if our circumstances are going to change. Now, while these might be natural questions, I don't believe that these questions are questions that went through David's mind in this passage. Now, if it were me, they would be questions that would go, that would go through my mind. Now, remember the story. David is just a shepherd boy, and he goes to the battlefront to visit his brothers to check on them and make sure they have enough food. And while he's there, he hears of this Philistine named Goliath. And Goliath is a man who's likely taller than nine feet. It says in the text that the uh, tip of his spear was 13 pounds. He wore a helmet, a bronze helmet on his head. He wore a coat of mail. He wore uh, armor on his legs. And if that wasn't bad enough, he had someone who walked in front of him carrying a shield. So, Essentially, this man is impenetrable. Goliath cannot be defeated. The only thing that is exposed of his body is his face. And even getting that close, how would you get that close to him? And so he, he's almost an impenetrable, undefeatable giant. Now if I saw him and I was experiencing the same situation, I probably would be wondering, can I really defeat him? Is it really God's will for me to defeat this giant? How would I defeat this giant? So that's the kind of the first level of faith that we all go through where we question and struggle and maybe are tested and maybe doubt with this question, is God going to come through for me? Is God going to give me the victory? And when I'm saying give you the victory, I'm not saying that he necessarily gives us what we want, but He helps us get through those things and not allow these things to spiritually harm us. So that's the first level of faith where we struggle and we doubt and then we come out on the other side stronger. It's described in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 this way, Without faith it's impossible, impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and then He rewards those who seek Him. And so that's the first level of faith. And we need to get to a point in our lives where we trust that God will see us through. Yet again, that's not the struggle that David faces in this passage. There are a number of different other characters in Scripture and stories where the characters do face these struggles. Where they're struggling and wrestling with, is God going to come through for me? Is God going to care for me? But not this one. It seems in this passage today that 
David doesn't question this at all. We see no sign of struggle, no sign of doubt. Look at what verse 37 says. David says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. See, lions were common in the Middle East during that time frame, and they were a threat to David's livelihood and even a threat to his life. Now, I believe that that first level of faith is something that we all have to experience and go through, but I believe that David experienced that, but he experienced it before he faced Goliath. He experienced it while he was in that field. He was experiencing that while he was taking care of his sheep. See, during that time frame, God was building and strengthening his faith so that he would be ready when he faced Goliath. J.D. Greer, president of the Southern Baptist Convention, once wrote this, Faith, you see, isn't just a one-time decision we make to follow God. Faith works like a muscle. It only gets stronger as it's strained. Exercise scientists explain that the way muscles grow is that when you exercise, you're actually producing thousands of little tears in the muscle. But when your body recovers, it builds back muscle in those gaps and the muscles get bigger. That's how faith works. God puts us in situations that tear our faith so that it can grow back stronger. I've seen this happen so often that I'm inclined to say it's God's standard practice. You come to Jesus and pretty soon you'll go through an experience that tests your faith. You lose your job. Your health takes a turn for the worst. People turn on you. And in those moments, God is asking, do you trust and value me more than these? Faith is the most important muscle in the Christian life. And God is committed to strengthening. And it's not just how you get saved. It's how you live every day as a follower of Christ. Everything in the Christian life grows in the soil of faith. See, I believe that God builds our faith as we are doing things that are seemingly mundane or common. See, to the outside world, to in David's culture, he was doing something that wasn't all that significant. In the mind of his brothers and the surrounding culture, the people who were important were the people who were on the battle lines fighting alongside Saul. The shepherd boy was not so important. Yet, in those moments where he was alone with God and his and his flocks, those were the moments when God was creating faith inside David's heart. Those were the moments where God was, was, where God was showing David that he could be trusted, that he would care for him. See, David's faith wasn't formed when he faced the giant. It was formed in the field when he was out in the field alone with God. And in the same way, God develops our faith oftentimes before we meet the giant. And I think of times in my life and the way that God has worked in my life and developed my faith. And it seems like it's kind of like a progression. You know, I think about things in seminary where God kind of worked in my life and tested me and tried me. And then, you know, I got to church planting and pastoring, and there were challenges there that maybe a few years earlier I wouldn't have been able to withstand. 
And God strengthens us and He knows where we're at on our spiritual journey. He knows what he, we can handle. And He prepares us beforehand so that we can face the giants in our life. Out in the field, God was demonstrating His faithfulness to David. So when he got to the giant, David had no question that the giant could fall if it were God's will. And David is really look, living in a different kind of world than the rest of the Israelites and the Philistines for that matter. See, the Israelites see the armor and the weaponry and the power of Goliath and their response is they're terrified. The Philistines see the armor and the uh, weapons and the power of Goliath and their response is they're confident because they feel like he's their champion they're going to, he's going to take care of them but both of them the Israelites and the Philistines make the mistake instead in that they see things through human eyes rather than through the eyes of faith and I think that's a mistake that many of us all of us are prone to make Scholar David Samora says this, the people judged the situation by what they saw with their eyes, hence they were very frightened. They judged the situation by what they saw with their eyes. How often do we do the same thing? We judge the world by what we see on the news or read on social media rather than seeing it through the eyes of faith. We judge by what our eyes see rather than what our hearts believe based on the truth of the Gospel. Samora continues, without faith, we only see negatively when faced with difficulties. We forget our status as God's people. Lose confidence in God. Without faith, we only see negatively. We forget our status as God's people and lose confidence in God. David here isn't concerned with how big the giant is. He doesn't see things the way that other people see things. He's only concerned about one thing, and that's making that giant fall and bringing glory to God. The fact that he sees the world through a different perspective kind of brings conflict between him and his brothers. Verse 28 says, Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few little sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. See, David's brothers, they can't wrap their minds around the fact that David would actually believe that he could defeat this giant. They can't wrap their minds around the fact that David actually believes that God would bring them the victory. And when we're living our lives and living lives of faith, sometimes the way that we act, the way that we conduct ourselves, seems like foolishness to the world. And sometimes that brings us into conflict with the world as they look at the way we live and they're like, like why aren't you freaking out? Like, what's, what's the matter with you? Like, do you really believe that God is going to be with you? I mean, look at what's happening here in your life. Do you really believe that God is going to work on your behalf? Like, are you, are you nuts? You've got to do something. You've got to be worried about this. And sometimes that brings conflict between us and those who don't see through the eyes of faith. See, our 
actions sometimes from a human standpoint seem illogical, seem foolish. So we see that David exhibits faith. He sees the world through a different perspective. He has that first level of faith where he's come to wrestle with whether God is going to care for him and he knows that that is the case. And he's moved on that from that to a next level of faith. You see, the first level of faith is maybe where we're wondering. Where we're wondering if God is going to come through for us. Will He defeat the giants in our lives? Yet the next level faith moves us from wondering to wonder. It moves us from wondering, is God going to show up? Even if we come to a place and believe that. But when we move to a next level of faith, that question isn't even on the table. We know He's going to show up. And we have the opportunity and the freedom to look with wonder at how God is going to show up. How God is going to prove Himself. How God is going to show Himself faithful to us. See, David sees the giant as an opportunity to show the world how great his God is. He sees the giant as an opportunity to show the world how great his God is. Notice what David says in verse 26. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now, this is not a human reaction, not a natural human reaction. The natural human reaction to seeing Goliath, perhaps nine foot tall, armor, weapons, armor bearer, uh, shield bearer in front of him, impenetrable. The normal human reaction is to be afraid and to run like the Israelites did. This is not a normal human reaction. But David has come to know and believe in the power of God. So his question is not, can I defeat this giant? The question is, how can I bring glory to God through this situation? And how can God prove Himself faithful through this slaying of this giant? And so he goes up to the giant. And Goliath taunts him. He says, hey, am I a dog that you come to me with a staff? He seems to be peeved that they would send such a weakling to face him. He threatens David. He says, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to throw your body to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. This would have been the worst thing that could happen to somebody. It was considered even worse than dying to have your body desecrated and not to have a proper burial. And yet, David doesn't back down. And his confidence is not in his own abilities and his own strength. His confidence is in his God. The God who has proved himself over and over and over again out when he was in that field. And look at how he responds in verses 46-47. to 47. He says, This day the Lord will deliver you into My hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give you into our hands. So David uses this giant as an opportunity to show the people of Israel how great his God is. 
And that is his goal in this passage. And we see that it inspires at least some level of faith in the Israelites as after he defeats this giant, the Israelites go and chase the Philistines and plunder their property. So God demonstrates Himself faithful. And David points all the glory to God. This passage is ultimately not about David. It's about the God who is faithful to David. And I think even in David's mind, if he was to be speaking to us today, he would say, my God is faithful. My God is strong. And He helped me defeat this giant. So David, we see, sees this giant as an opportunity to point people to his God. But the story of David and Goliath is also a picture of another battle. Just as David fought the giant as a representation of Israel, who were filled with fear and weakness, Jesus fought sin and death, another giant, as a representative of humanity who was also who were also filled with fear and weakness. I have a question for you. Do you think that Jesus ever questioned whether God was going to come through for him? Do you think that Jesus ever questioned whether the Father was going to raise him from the dead? No. It's silly to think that he questioned those things. He knew the Father's plan. He knew the Father's power. He knew what the Father was going to do. So he wasn't focused on that first level issue of faith, he was focused on bringing glory to God by defeating that giant. He was focused on bringing people to himself as he defeated that giant. John 12, 27-28 says this, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For for this purpose I have, been, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. See, just like David, when Jesus rose from the grave, He demonstrated once and for all that there is a God. That there is a God who is mighty and powerful and who is strong to save. And we celebrated what Jesus did last week in Easter in the cross and resurrection, how He defeated sin and death. And so in defeating this giant of sin and death, Jesus pointed people to Jesus, to, to, to God the Father, and showed how great God the Father was and how He is mighty to save. What if we had that next level faith like David and Jesus did? What if we saw the giants in our lives not as obstacles? but as opportunities. Because when we face difficulties in this life, it's natural to see the negatives about them. But what if in the midst of those dark moments, what if in the midst of those trials, we saw them as opportunities for God to show Himself faithful and strong? Because without a giant, there wouldn't be a miracle. If David hadn't faced the giant, then God wouldn't have been glorified through this. David wouldn't have had the opportunity to see God work on behalf of the people. The Israelites wouldn't have been able to see the glory of their God. And so, the giants in our life are not necessarily obstacles. 
The giants in our life can be opportunities for God to show himself faithful and true. And some of us here, maybe we're still struggling with that kind of first level faith. Maybe we're not believers or we're new believers and we're just still struggling with that question, is God really going to provide? Is he really going to come through for me? Is he really going to be there for me? And if that's you, that's completely fine. And I'm here to tell you and to affirm to you, and I'm sure others in your life could, who are believers could affirm to you that Jesus is faithful. He will be there with you in the good times and the bad times, and you can trust in Him. But if that's the first level of faith that you're, you're kind of shooting towards and still wrestling with that, that's okay. And I hope that you get there soon to put your faith in Him and to know that He will provide for you. But others of us here, maybe we've been Christians for many years, and uh, maybe God today is calling us to move beyond that first level faith. I mean, maybe whenever we face a giant, we keep going back to that wondering, is God going to provide for me? Is God going to care for me? Is God going to come through? And maybe... God today is calling for us to move to a sense of wonder, from wondering to wonder. Maybe we need to stop wondering if God is going to come through and look forward to, with anticipation, how God is going to come through, how God is going to prove himself faithful even in the midst of the darkness. We live in a world that is literally grasping for any kind of hope that it can find. What if we used the darkness. What if we use the giants in our life to point people to Jesus? What if we allowed our victory over them to declare the glory of God to those around us? What if we use the fact that we rely on God? What if the fact that we rely on God and trust in Him could point people to a God who could be trusted? I'd like to close with two stories. Both of them, as God would have it, involving elevators. Um, if you've ever ridden on an elevator, which I think everybody has, you've probably ridden on an Otis elevator. Uh, you may not have known it, but Otis elevators are, have been kind of the industry standard for elevators for the last 150 years. But it wasn't always that way. And Elijah Otis was the man who founded the Otis Elevator Company, and he wasn't the first one to invent elevators. In fact, elevators had existed for a while before uh, before Otis, um, but what Otis brought to elevators was he brought safety mechanisms, because back when they first came out, they were basically just platforms, and uh, they didn't really have any safety mechanism. They might be uh, hung up by a rope, and if that rope happened to break, then the elevator was going to fall down. It could be potentially dangerous. And so they tended to keep buildings relatively small because they didn't want to make it go too high and risk you know, tragedy. So Otis tried to sell elevators. He wasn't very successful until he went to the Christus, Crystal Palace exhibition in Manhattan. And while he was there, he came up with a clever marketing technique. Each hour that the exposition was opened, he went on to he went on to one of his elevators and he ordered that one of his assistants cut the rope from above him. 
the crowd started to gasp as he started to fall, but then his braking mechanism would stop the elevator from hitting the ground, and he would walk off the elevator and say, all fine, all safe, gentlemen, all safe. With this demonstration, soon Otis sold his first three elevators. And then after that, the rest is basically history. In New York City alone, there's over 70,000 elevators today. And it's estimated that during, obviously not now, but when things are open, it's estimated that the equivalent of the world's population travels on an Otis elevator, escalator, or moving walkway every three days. Billions of people go on these things every three days. But it took a step of faith. It took Otis literally putting his life on the line. Now, he knew he wasn't going to die. But other people and it took that demonstration of faith in his elevators to get other people to believe. And I think the world is looking for that demonstration of faith. They're looking for people who truly believe what they say. We're not just going through the motions and doing Christian things and reciting Christian phrases on social media, but who actually believe the Word of God. Who actually believe that God is faithful even in the midst of trials final story. Recently heard a, st a story about a young boy who was an elevator operator and so people would get into the elevator and he would ask them what floor. But each time they would get into the elevator he asked each person a unique question. He said I can take you to a, a, a statement. He said I can take you to any floor but only Jesus can take you to heaven. Say that to, said that to everyone who came into the elevator. One day someone asked him so why do you say that to everyone? And he responded this way. He said, I'm a nobody who can tell everybody about somebody who can save everybody. I'm a nobody who can tell everybody about a somebody who can save everybody. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our calling. We're all nobodies. David was a nobody. He was a shepherd boy. He wasn't a warrior. He was the least likely person that you would expect to go and fight Goliath. And yet he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll trust in God. We're all nobodies. Hopefully telling everybody about a somebody who can save everybody. Pointing people to the giant slayer. What if we saw giants as opportunities. Opportunities to show the world around us how great our God is. What if we did that? How incredible would that be? If even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, if even when the giant is towering over us, we looked forward to how God was going to use that for His glory. How God was going to use our faith and our obedience to bring how God is going to prove himself faithful. I'd like to close with a quote by George Mueller. I quoted this a couple weeks ago, but I think it's worth repeating again. He says, Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. 
Another way to translate that, faith begins when there's a giant in the room. Faith begins when there's an obstacle that needs to be overcome. And when we demonstrate that faith in God, we can point people to the God who saves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. We thank you that you're there for us. We thank you that you're a powerful God who slays giants. Lord, I pray for those who are maybe struggling in their faith and wondering whether you are faithful, whether you can be trusted. Lord, I pray that you would give them the confidence, that you would strengthen them, no matter where they are, what they're doing, uh, maybe even in the mundane things of life as they're uh, in this quarantine, Lord. I just pray that you'd reveal yourself to them, strengthen their faith through your Holy Spirit. For those of us who are maybe believers, who have seen you work in their lives before, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't stay in that first level of faith. That each time a giant comes, that we wouldn't be wondering and questioning whether you're going to be there for us. But when that giant comes, I pray that we would have that expectation and even anticipation that you're going to do something amazing through us by your great power. Lord, we love you. We look forward to what you're going to do. We thank you for who you are. In Christ's name I pray.